and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father and I as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and values inspired by the weekly Torah portion. Our goal is to open our discussion to you in the hopes that it will give you something to think and reflect on, as well as be another interesting conversation that you can have with your family, friends, and peers. So let's delve right in. All right. Hello and welcome, everybody. We are down a mic, so we're going to try and make this work. <laughs> down a mic. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Parsha, which this week's Parsha is Vayeshev, but we're going to mostly talk about Happy Hanukkah and the lovely holidays. Um, so yeah, Hanukkah. So with that, off we go. Right. So what I was saying was, that we have some apocryphal books that give us a different story of what was going on in Hanukkah. So there's this, there's a strange uh, apocryphal book. It's called Megillat Antiochus, which is <clears throat> literally means the scroll of the king, who was the in uh, the Greek king at that time that ruled over Jerusalem and Israel, whose name was. Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not 100% clear when this was written, but it, it could be even that this was written somewhere around the actual making of this history, where um, someone reported on what was going on in the, amongst the Jews during this period. And what's interesting to note is that <clears throat> I remember as children, we used to learn that, you know, the Greeks were terrible and they made all kinds of evil decrees. And then finally the the Maccabees made a rebellion and they smacked them around and they got them out, <laughs> kicked them out of the temple and they kicked them out of Israel. And then they all lived happily ever after. Now, in the truth... Um, that's not exactly what happened. Not as, no, we don't the history that we have is a little bit scant, but we definitely have other sources. One of the sources is this Megillat Antiochus that says that actually there was a, a pre-rebellion, before the rebellion, of that we're aware of of the Hashmonaim, and that rebellion was not successful. Um. That rebellion was um, because um, they decided to paganize the temple. And it says that um, there was a uh, a little bit of revolt. They put down the revolt. And because there was a revolt, so then they got really angry. And then they started really prov- provoking the Jews by doing other things and making decrees against Shabbat, Brit Milah, and no, I mean mostly Shabbat and Brit Milah, and there was a very cruel, draconian measure that women needed to um, before they got married. They needed to, uh, you know, get a visit from the from the governor, you know, the Greek governor first, which was a complete put down. And um, not only was that a horrible thing to to do, but it was very demoralizing. Obviously, that was what they were trying to do, to demasculate 
the population. But there's also another mention of another weird measure that they did, which is I think is very telling, which is that they, in this wave of decrees, one of the decrees was that you're not allowed to close the door of your house. You have to leave the door open. So in essence, removing privacy. Right. I mean, just removing anything, integrity, Dignity. safety. You know, you don't. You can imagine the homes then were very simple. They weren't like you know upstairs, downstairs, and stuff. I mean, there was a door, a door, and then a room, and maybe a room behind that room, or maybe two. But that was your house. So if you had your door open, you're basically like, you know, open to anything. Mm-hmm. Very vulnerable feeling. Very. I mean, imagine if you had to live that way. I mean, once a year we have this custom where we do uh, open the door for Elio Anavi and I remember as a kid being like oh my god like how long are we going to keep the door open like can we close the door <laughs> it's like it's weird to have the front door open yeah especially in the middle of the night <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, imagine if just your door was open I mean it's crazy so that just you know plays with the minds of the people but I think it's interesting to know and this is what I wanted to point out that when the rabbis instituted Hanukkah, which is following the history of the of the of the time, what happened was is that after these gzeirot, so Matatiao and his family um, were kind of angry enough to start a revolt. But the Quintas Megillas Antiochus, another interesting thing happened, which was that one of the daughters of the house of Hashmonai, were who were Kohen named was was meant to be married and she was she was going to be fed to the wolves so to speak before the marriage was going to take place and she wasn't having it so she got up in a place where they would normally you know public square where they would normally sell slaves where you know people kind of had their eyes on that place and um she started you know making a whole scene she started like disrobing and saying like What's the difference if I here disrobe myself in front of everyone, whereas all of you men are just willing to just watch me, you know, get totally defiled by this uh, horrible person, and like and you're just gonna accept that, you know, like that's a, just a way of life, and then I'll supposedly just go to go get married in like the next couple of days, like, like what kind of a horrible thing is this? And she and she like starts, and people were like, you know, she really shocked people into yeah. Power and she's like, what's the difference? Like, why, why are you getting all upset if I disrobe? You know, but this is like the worst possible scenario of uh, lack of, 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 of everything that we stand for, for morals, and, and nobody's doing anything about it. So she really stoked the coals. And the, according to the Midrash, this Megillus Antiochus, that's where the, you know, the embers really hit the, hit the flames. And I don't know if that's a saying. I was going to say, that's a, that's a nice... <laughs> That's a nice Whatever. The and embers hit the flame. Whatever. <laughs> and they started the, the rebellion. Okay, so the rebellion took place over a couple of years. It wasn't so great in the beginning. Yehuda Maccabee, it seems, was killed in the first in one of the first engagements. And, and then the, after they were victorious, the first engagement, then he got his big uh, general, I forgot his name, to come with elephants. And they, they had a huge, you know, huge army with 
huge uh, war elephants, you know, attacking in, in you know Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. That must have been so scary. Can it was imagine, very scary. Like, just like a hundred, hundreds of elephants with like very tall, and yeah, huge and angry. It's like a tank back then. It was like a tank. Crazy scary. Yeah. So so that's where we, you know this is what we all know as kids, but it seems to be Miguel Santiago's corroborates that. Eliezer's job was to kill the elephants. He was the oh, elephant. <laughs> he was the elephant kill slay slay the elephants elephant commander, right commander, and he got killed under an elephant. Um, so a lot of Matasiel's children were actually died in wars, and especially, you know, we're led to believe that as children anyway that you know there was this great victory and then that was mm, it, right. and then they all lived happily ever after. It's not really true. It took a couple of years. People were 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 killed. Even the, the the family that's you know is recognized to be like the you know the ringleaders of the rebellion. They were most of them were killed, and until um, they were actually successful to root out um, the Hellenistic um, influence from Israel, it was like a long time until they were able to rededicate the you know the the Beit Hamikdash and so and so and so on. <clears throat> also. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like afterwards, the, the I'm saying once they once they actually did succeed, the peace or the autonomy that they gained didn't last very long. According to the Rambam, it lasted two hundred years. Oh, really? According that's what the Rambam says. According to modern, according to our historical record, it lasted. For a very short time, it lasted until the Romans came. It lasted about a hundred years. Oh, that's still longer than I. A little thought. bit longer, a little like almost like a hundred and twenty, hundred and forty years, mm-hmm. could have lasted. It's not that off, but but the Romans already were around the corner after the Greeks left. So, um, what I want what I want to really talk about over here is that I I, I find that. Do you want eyedrops, or should I just turn off the AC? Uh, the AC is ACing. It's not even heating. It is heating. It's just very light. It feels like it's air conditioning. You know, it's just like joining out my eyes. Why don't you shut the thing off? Smashing in large. No, I meant this, but whatever. One second. Watch. Anyway, what I think is interesting is that um, the, the whole... Um, institution of the of Hanukkah as a holiday which basically in, involves two elements one is thankfulness right and in a day where we have some vestiges of celebration and then there's the lighting of the candles right the lighting of the of the lights now right so lighting of the lights you'd think is like a minor thing when it comes like the main thing is to be um, thankful about this great salvation, right? <clears throat> now, the truth of the matter is, is that it's, re- it's, it's an interesting reason why it's not that way. It's because the Gemara says that there were other events that the Jews had recorded in their history to to commemorate as days of rejoicing because of great salvations in those days. You can imagine the Jews have been through quite a bunch. And um, there was something called Megillus Tinus, which is like a compilation of these dates and in those days were days that you didn't um you didn't fast on them you didn't do you didn't give eulogies um 
for us would mean like not saying Tachlan, but basically those are days that we, at least in some ways, are like holidays, right? Mm-hmm. At one point in history, um, just like the first century, the Gemara says, Butler Megillah's Tainus. That means that that those special holidays um, that were days of commemoration and thankfulness to God were abolished, right? Now, why they were abolished is, it seems to be, just to make a long story short, but it seems to be that the rabbis considered that if these days weren't going to be taken seriously, there was, going to, there was like a, no end in sight to the amount of days that you'd have to start instituting because there was always problems and then salvations and then you know and then the the, the whole institution would, wouldn't be really serious people would lose like the the whole idea was to create a sensitivity to for the need to be thankful mm-hmm. when you have so many dates and then it, it kind of defeats the purpose so they basically knocked off the whole thing now hanukkah was one of those days that was in the list of things so then the question is why did hanukkah remain mm-hmm. hanukkah and purim right Right, Hanukkah and Purim. So Purim, you can say, remains because it was still in the times of the, it was still in the times of the prophets, and it had a direct relation to the Beit Hamikdash, the building of the Beit Hamikdash. Some say Hanukkah is the same; it also has a, a direct relationship with you know the rededication of the Beit Hamikdash. Mm-hmm. But there's another reason that's written in this Megillah Tainis, which is very very interesting, that says that when the, the Beit HaMikdash was dedicated, or rededicated, right? And there was this miracle of, you know, being able to find and, and rededicate the Beit HaMikdash by lighting the menorah. It seems that it became like a custom for people to light lights on around this time to commemorate the miracle. And the Gemara says that even though really Hanukkah should have gone the way of all the other dates that were like days of commemoration for great miracles, this one didn't go because people in their homes had this custom to light these lights and the lights were very personal and intimate in these people's homes as it was a way of doing pursuing Nisa, like spreading the miracle and spreading so the rabbi said that this is like that Hanukkah has to remain because there we see that the sensitivity is alive whereas keeping the whole list of things is going to just deaden everything right but this, this the fact that the people took upon their themselves the, the this this idea of spreading the miracle of lighting the lights so it was actually the lighting of the lights of the homes that preserved Hanukkah as a, something that was was meant to remain as part of the, 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 the Jewish calendar, right? It's a real holiday of the Jewish calendar. Otherwise, it would have also gone the way of the other dates that were also commemorated one way or another. So, so, so Hanukkah's survival, so to speak, as a holiday seems to be, according to the source, based on the fact that people took their own initiative, even though it wasn't necessarily a law yet, but to to light lights in their homes, and to, to to and and because of that, like Hanukkah became Hanukkah as something that you know became part of the Jewish calendar. So, I think that's very telling, and I think this whole story that we're saying it is is something that we need to perhaps contemplate, which is the the you know. They wanted to destroy our personal integrity and our personal space. So lighting the, the candles in our own personal space. Very, in other words, the miracle of Hanukkah is translated into a mitzvah that's near Yishu which is a very different type of, of uh, legislation. The, normally you have a mitzvah that's either on a person or a mitzvah that's on everybody, but a, a mitzvah that goes on a home 
this is a mitzvah for the home, right? Mm-hmm. The homes need to light the, it's as if a household needs to light the menorah, you know, the candles of, of Hanukkah. Right. Right, so it's like, it seems to be like, again, like a, almost a, like a, like a, a prevailing over what they wanted to do by destroying her home, starting from family purity, starting from family integrity, starting from the vulnerability that they wanted to create, and just the, the destruction of the of the family nucleus, right? So the mitzvah is given to the home to, to light the candles, right? So that, that the home itself can express like a, a great thankfulness for being, for maintaining um, them itself intact, right? So I think... That's um, what 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 I'd like to use this for is like a springboard to. What I think, you can find in like different sefer machshava about what Hanukkah is trying to tell us, you know, in the middle of the winter, for most of us in the northern hemisphere. I remember when we used to light candles yeah. in the summer. Is <laughs> <laughs> that like in the middle of the winter? You know, you know, you have that image like it's cold and blustery outside, or even if you're it's snowing or whatever. And where do people take refuge in their homes, right? Where it's warm, right? And so there's like a certain feeling of like that there needs to be a discussion about the, our inner selves, like what what is the essence of our inner self? What what is what are our inner dialogues like? What do they look like? What do we hear ourselves saying? when we can quiet the noise of everything else in the world. What's worrying in our mind, worrying, W-H-I-R-R-I-N-G, in our minds when we have quiet time? Oh, wor- worrying. Worrying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay. In the machine of our brains, right? What, what's... The, uh, the reason why I said that this might have a little bit to do with the Parsha is because this is a parsha that, for the for the first time, because this these uh, very personal stories in the episode of the sale of Yosef, there's a lot of of there's a lot of uh, internal thinking, personal thinking that's going on in, in these in the in these in the, in the during this episode the way the Torah describes it, you know the brothers are thinking their thoughts. And Yosef is thinking his thoughts, you know, and it's the father, Yaakov, is thinking about Aviv Shamarat Davar, right? He's thinking his thoughts. It's very mysterious, like what everybody's thinking. Mm-hmm. They'll have the, and then, and then the, you know, the butler and the baker, they're, you know, commiserating and what are they, what's on their mind. And Yosef at the end is the one who's like, brings out their inner thoughts into the open to create a great salvation for himself, really, you know, and to, to, to shed light on their inner selves and what they're amusing about and what they're fantasizing about and what they think is going to happen to them. There's a lot of, like, inner world discussion in these partios. Yehuda, you know, he's all alone. All of a sudden, he's, he's like, kind of ostracized from his brothers, and you get a feeling he's, like, alone and thinking, you know, about his sons that died, and then... And then, and then he with Tamar, and then he has one thought. He thinks Tamar is a, is a zona, and then it's there's a lot of intrigue. That's all about like everyone's thinking different things, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of dis, dis um, there's a lot of discord, and a lack of harmony. You know, amongst all the different parts, because everybody's locked in their own world. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's a lot of that going on in the parsha, which is not directly related to the point that I'm trying to make over here. But what I would like to do is, is without 
trying to wrap this up in any particular way, but I'd just like to like get us to think about what our inner worlds are like. In other words, the idea of lighting a candle, according to our sources, is that you're trying to reflect your inner soul when you light it. And the soul is supposed to be, the, 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 the candle is symbolic, the flame is symbolic of our inner soul, which is our inner innermost part of our being. And when we light the lights and we're trying to project from our inner selves or from our private places, from our, from our homes, where we guard our integrity outward, we're trying to say is that I believe that our inner thoughts and our inner selves, our inner worlds, are not just inner worlds. They are really ultimately what um, has us projecting on the world. It's not like a lot of times we go through the day and we think that, you know, we do a lot of stuff. You know, I do this, I do that, and I do this. And, and what I do has nothing to do with what I think necessarily or what is going on in my mind. Like I can <clears throat> separate what I do from... I can separate what I do from, from what, I actually, what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And from what... Like I can think things and I can fantasize things, but it's got nothing to do with what I do. I do, right? right. And it's, it's two separate worlds. And what I think the message over here is saying is that, no. Not really. It's like, just like you see in the story of the Parsha, all the inner musings of all the characters of the story end up coming to fruition, right? <clears throat> Yosef's dreams <clears throat> came to fruition. And the, you know, when, they, when, when the, 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 the Greeks want to tear down our inner sanctum, what that means is that they want to say to you, it doesn't matter what you, what's on your inside. Your inside is, could be as, as vain and as mundane as, as you want it to be. It doesn't really matter, right? <clears throat> Ultimately, what's important is what, you, is what you show, right? Which is a Greek idea. Like if your body is the, is the most you know, important thing, what, what the, the beauty of the world, right? And the beauty... Um, it, you know, I just was just reading that suicide in ancient Greece was very common when people thought that their bodies were already like failing them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they would just figure it's much more glorif glorified to just end it. And they would, you know, commit suicide. Right. Um, so it's a kind of like an interesting thing is that is that to them, it's like it's all about action and what you can show towards towards the outside world, whereas the inside world is meaningless right mm -hmm. and, and what we're saying is that on the contrary the inner world is is the most essential part of the human and what we can and what eventually becomes reflected towards the outside world is based on our inner world so the challenge here is to say what are we thinking what are we thinking when we're you know in downtime what what's on our minds it's like when the music's off and your airpods aren't in and right. you're not listening to a podcast and you're not talking to friends or posting things on social media or checking your WhatsApp when everything's quiet and the lights are out and it's time to settle down and your mind starts thinking about things, where are your thoughts are going you? to? Ayeka, you know, where, where is, what is your inner dialogue? What does it look like? What are you saying to yourself? Can you hear your inner dialogue? And um, a lot of times we... we, we we, we don't take ourselves seriously in this way. We think that we can be influenced by all kinds of things. 
um, and it won't matter because we have our way, we have our path in life, and it's really not true. Um, I know this is not going to be such a popular thing to say, but... Trigger warning. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I remember going through this as a kid also, but I, you know, there's always the issue of music, and this is an issue, you know, of popular culture, which is a big issue when it comes to Hanukkah, because this was the war against the the pernicious influence of the Greeks, because the Greeks, you know, they had a lot of stuff going for their society that Jews were also interested in, and Greek philosophy is something that uh, is one of the gifts that the Greek society has bequeathed to the world and advances in science and math and mathematics and in very many ways. And the Jews were very, very taken by it. And there's sources that say that there's great wealth of knowledge and wisdom to be found in the Greek society. So it wasn't like the Jewish people had nothing to be interested in. They were interested in Greek society, but Greek society at the same time was basically sending mixed messages about the real value of life and the real value of being connected to um, your spiritual self and to God. That wasn't that. Wasn't that. Uh, that was not considered important or even significant because according to Greek philosophy, <clears throat> God doesn't really care about you. God is so perfect that God is just thinking about himself, really. And you, if you want to perfect yourself, you just need to think like God or about God or about godly things. And then you can perfect yourself almost as if it's like in a vacuum. You can perfect yourself without being involved in any relationship whatsoever. And that is completely um, antagonistic to, to Jewish thought. And Jewish thought is not perfection in a vacuum, it's perfection in connection to your surroundings, and those that surround you and the world, that the world that God puts you in, and to God, who is keenly aware of your existence. So all this, all this gets back to the same idea, that Judaism is a very holistic vision, whereas, whereas Greek philosophy is a very parsed, Compartmentalized? Parsed, I think, is the word. It's split. It's a split vision. It's, it's, it separates um, many things from each other. It's your inner life and your inner um, self, your inner world, is, is only as good as it can you know, perfect itself in a vacuum. You, know, it's like you're, you can think great thoughts about uh, you know, very lofty things, so then you yourself... You know, will become that. But it has nothing to do with projecting to the world. It has nothing to do with how you're going to f affect anybody else necessarily. Though that's, that's not your, that's not your uh, way of perfection necessarily. That doesn't, that's, that's not the key to, to being a greater man. And um, so, so therefore, if that's our holistic vision in Judaism, I just, the challenge is like, what are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you uh, exposing yourself to? What's on your mind, you know, especially young, more younger people that are much more impressionable? What are you watching? You know, you have to ask yourself these hard questions. It sounds like from questions, religious questions, but these are the things that ultimately can influence your inner life. Maybe you're going to say, well, I don't do anything based on it. I don't, my conduct is, remains the same, which might or might not be true, but whatever, let's say it is. The question is then, but what's on your mind now? I mean, isn't that you? I mean, your seichel, your intellect, 
your consciousness. What is it thinking? Is it thinking about Joe Wappy Lappy rappers, snappity do, whatever guy who's like <laughs> singing lyrics that you wouldn't, you know, want anybody to hear? I mean, you know, awful things about terrible things, you know what I'm saying? And you say, no, well, it's just a this, it's just a that. Yeah, but, you know, you have your earbuds on for hours and hours. I mean, where does all the, where do all those thoughts that enter your mind go? There are thoughts there. They create brain waves and brain patterns mm -hmm. and the schemas in your mind. I mean, it doesn't just go out your ears, you know. Mm -hmm. So this is the challenge to think about it. I think on the holiday of Hanukkah, I think it's a good time to think about it. The themes of the holiday have a lot to do with this. So what are your thoughts I really like this, actually. I like how you read into the Parsha um, as... View, I, mean, I like how you see this Parsha as um, being able to um, experience the struggle between our inner world and, and what happens in our reality. And I think that... It, I happen to think it's a one of those messages that I think that we usually hear around Hanukkah because I think that it is the essence of Hanukkah, but I like how you tied it in um, to the Parsha and also with, I like the, I, I actually, I don't think I ever heard that the lighting of the candles was a house mitzvah as opposed to a personal mitzvah. Yeah, it's called Ner Ish Ubeito. The mitzvah of Hanukkah is Ner Ish Ubeito. The man, the, the, the uh, light per house, per home. So I, I, like, I didn't hear that before and I, I, like, especially after hearing what you, what, what we were dealing with then. And then what we're trying to commemorate today, which is the importance of a rich inner world that is spiritual and connected to the divine, then I think it, it really ties in really beautifully with um, lighting and in general fire has a lot, I think is a very, something that we associate a lot with spirituality um, and how it ties into being in our home and our private life and what we're thinking about. I think it's a very... It gives us, gives me at least, I'll speak about myself, it gives me a lot to think about and process. And I always love feeling like what I'm doing can be brought down to very tangible, um, um, like things to do. Consequences. Con yeah, consequences. What can I think about? What can I do? How could this be more meaningful for me this time around? I think that we uh, we both agree that the struggle in in doing mitzvot and Judaism in general is is keeping it alive and keeping it fresh and being active participants in the relationship that we have with God. And I think that this was a, a nice way to bring that into light again. No pun intended. <laughs> you know, I, I happen to also think that, I don't know, this was just a thought that crossed my mind a few days ago, that it's good to, it's good to be like somewhat skeptical. You know, we, we were always, I was always, you know, I don't know, it's not important who, but one can be criticized for being skeptical all the time. But if you have a good skepticism, then you're gonna it's 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 an it's a like an indication that you're really looking for something real like you know mm -hmm. if you're being skeptical just to be skeptical just to just to kind of like you know kind of not take anything serious that's that's really called late sanut in hebrew but if you're being skeptical which means like you know you're you're you don't just go with the flow you're a little bit anti-conformist um if it's not just for the sake of building yourself up because you have a low self-esteem, but it's really it's just because you just don't buy things just because, right? You're really looking. So you should be finding more of an authentic 
reality, an authentic religion, an authentic faith. You know, you you have to be honest that you you're really in the in the hunt for it. You know, but when you f when you find something finally, you know, it's it it makes it all the worth all you know worth that while as opposed to just being like one of the masses that are just like doing stuff because you don't want to rock the boat or because maybe you think there's some value in just doing it you know because everybody's doing it mm -hmm. you know so you're bringing up the I, th I feel like you're connecting this thought a bit more or i'm connecting this thought more to the the rebellion part of hanukkah which is you know there there comes a point where where we need to question and be like how are, am i okay with this like we say that we stand for what is pure and moral and um f the family intimacy and structure is such a huge part in Judaism and then Miriam is like you know put your money where your mouth is Miriam? i don't think i said oh did i assume her name was Miriam mm, yeah the <laughs> oh no, i don't oops. i have to like look at the source of her. i don't i don't know if it gives a name All right. she says you from the Hashmonai household all right well power woman from the Hashmonai yeah. family is like I think that we're all saying nice words and making ourselves feel good, but we're not actually doing anything. And I think she was really poking a hole where it hurts. Um, and I think that in general that I would agree with you in that case. I also think that we both share uh, a rebellious, anti-conformist streak yeah. with our family in general, yeah. which I've always found to be a good thing. Um, well, it has, it has its pitfalls just like anything. I don't want to say that it's like all good because you can just... As I'm saying, you can take the route of like, oh, this, that, that, and then you're not committed to anything, and you're not in the game. You know, mm -hmm. you just, you just, you're, the, you're like the skeptic on the side who's like, not interested in playing, so nothing's good. You know, mm -hmm. so that's not good. It's better to be in the game and just do it and be, you know, be involved and not be a spectator. But if you're really searching, and that's where this healthy skepticism comes from. Yeah, so you end up being you. It's a, I mean, I don't. <laughs> it's it's a lead, you know, if you want to lead, you you have to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, making sh I guess encouraging, encouraging ourselves and and everyone else who's listening to this, and if you have friends who you want to share this message with, um, kind of taking that more of a uncomfortable and brave step to question the system, to question whether you're living up to your values to question how much of, of other people's values you've decided to imbibe and bring in and if you're actually okay with that. Um, and also challenging the concept, then going back to that first point that you made, which is that really the idea that your mind and your thoughts and the actions that you do are separate and different. Um, you can say that they're, you know, someone can think a lot of things and do things that are different, so therefore we actually have this concept in the Torah where you can think a lot of evil thoughts, but if you don't do them, then you're not judged on them. But I think that there is a lot to be said, and also in the coaching world a lot, it's our, our thoughts create our reality. Um, so it's it's through the lenses, our thoughts are the lenses through which we perceive reality. So as even though I may not do something because logically or because I grew up thinking that this wasn't good, if really in my mind I think it's okay then really what I'm doing is either just doing something because someone told me not to do it, but I don't actually believe in what I'm doing, in which case that's that brings up a whole other set of problems, which is, <laughs> am I living authentically? Um, and if you decide that you are going to act on it, then you're then again, then the question is, what, what values do you prioritize? Which values are you okay with? And how do you want to see the world? 
through which lenses. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm call it a day and night. That's a wrap. <clears throat> Hasta la vista, amigos. And that's a wrap, my friends. We hope that our conversation inspired you and gave you something to chew on. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, topics you'd be interested in discussing, and even triggers so we can generate more relevant and meaningful conversation. You can contact us at fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. And we are wishing you a blessed week, and we'll catch you next time.